0: All right, pop quiz time. How many of you love pop quizzes? This is an easy one, I promise. First question, put it up there, Mike. Which country has the largest population? China, you're right. How many people do they have? A lot, close enough. 1.3 billion. (laughs) Next question. World's tallest mountain? Mount Everest, how tall is it? Twenty nine yeah, I see how this is going. Tall. Twenty-nine thousand twenty-nine feet. Next question. What type of tree grows tallest? Redwood, where are they found? California? Do you know how tall the tallest one is? Very, very tall. Three hundred and seventy-nine feet. Yes, I got it right. Last question of this one. World's richest man. Bill Gates is number two. I guarantee you don't know the... Go ahead and put it up there. I forgot his name. Carlos Slim Helu. He's got 53.5 billion. Bill Gates only has 53 billion. Measly 500 million. Just cost him the top spot. All right, now let's do another pop quiz. Which country has the smallest population? Vatican City. 770 people. Why does James know that? Don't go there. Don't go there. World's smallest mountain. What? I didn't hear that, but it must have been good. Mount Weishproof. Now, I don't know Wish. I don't know. I don't care. You didn't know it either. 141 feet. Now... This depends on your definition of a mountain. So I'm like, 141 feet? Come on. But that's, that's in, the, in the record books. Smallest type of tree in the world? Not the bonsai. A dwarf willow. They can grow between one to six centimeters. I'm thinking, why bother? You're not a real tree. Come on. World's poorest man. I know you don't know this one. Actually, actually, before I tell you this dude's name, this dude owes $22.4 million because of .com, the dot-com debacle. He, he made some investments. So honestly, although you think you're the poorest man in the world, this dude owes more than all of us combined. His name, what was it? Jed Matthews. I don't, I don't want to be Jed. Anybody want to swap places with Jed? Now, which list carries more prestige? The bigger and better list or the smallest list? Bigger and better. Bigger and better. Which list gets more respect? In American society, do we almost always promote bigger is better? Yes. yes, we do. And what about in our churches? Do we tend to focus on bigger is better? Uh, trick question. We think that more people, more money, bigger ministries, buildings, more programs, greater talent will result in greater effective, effectiveness in the work of God. And what do we tend to think about smaller things? We tend to think that God is not working in small churches with lesser talents and lesser programs and, and lesser budgets. We think if it isn't big, God isn't in it. Am I right? Am I right? But it doesn't stop with churches. Often we think about this about ourselves. We think that we're not talented enough or smart enough or knowledgeable enough or important enough for God to use us in any meaningful way. Am I right? I was listening to a, a pastor. His name's Matt Chandler. He's in the Dallas area and um, great talk. He's talking to church leaders and pastors. And he goes to this church. He never wanted to go to this church in the first place, tried everything he could not to go to the church, and they hired him. So he goes to the church, and it's 160, 50- and 60-year-old 60, 60 people. And, and a few years later, it's turned into 8,000 20- and 30-year-olds. And he says to this group of, of religious leaders, he says, Now I'm the pastor of a church I never wanted to pastor. We're way wide and about that deep. When it comes to the kingdom of God, bigger isn't always better, is it? Let's look at what Jesus has to say about this in Luke chapter 13. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and the birds make nests in its branches. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast... A woman used in making bread, even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated permeated every part of the dough. Now, here's the thing. No one had ever seen the kingdom of God. So Jesus came up with these stories to describe it so you could get a, a picture in your mind of what the kingdom of God was like. And these two passages have caused all kinds of Bible experts to argue about what it means. Now, on one side, there are a group of people who say, well, you know, it's very easy. A mustard seed is smaller than the, the uh, head of a pencil, sharpened pencil. And in one season, that seed can grow to 12, 12 to 15 feet tall. That's pretty impressive growth, right? Right. That's as far as it goes, but that that's really great growth. And so they're saying, this side says, well, the kingdom of God, even though it started small with Jesus and the disciples, it has grown huge. They also say this whole yeast thing, you know, it just takes a little bit of yeast and it and it touches the entire dough. And, and by the way, this is a bunch of dough. This isn't like for one loaf of bread. This is like for 50 or 60 loaves of bread. Just a little bit of yeast and it touches everything. And they say, this shows that the kingdom of God started small and it's eventually going to touch the entire world. Makes sense, right? You you could hear that explanation and go, yeah, that's probably what Jesus was talking about, right? Well, there's always another side. The other side says, well, that's not what Jesus was talking about because this happens right after Jesus encounters the Pharisees. Always the Pharisees, religious leaders. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching... And he heals a woman who had been sick for 18 years. And he does it on a Sabbath day. And the, and the synagogue leader gets ticked off. And he says, you should not heal on the Sabbath. And he the, the religious leader scolds the congregation. He says, there are six days of the week for you to come and get healed. Don't you dare come and get healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, are you serious? He said, you will go out and water your animals on the Sabbath. And hear this woman who is made in the image of God. We have the power to heal her on a Sabbath day and you're telling me you don't want to heal her? And of course, the guy was shamed in front of everybody and Jesus says, you're healed. And she stands straight up and the people there began to glorify God. Immediately after, Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? So this side says, well... The mustard tree is really kind of a weed, a bush that grows. And, and, and they said it, the kingdom of God is going to grow big, but in the midst of the kingdom of God, there's going to be real genuine believers and there's going to pe- be people there who are not believers in Christ. And so the kingdom of God's going to look really big, but we're not real sure which ones are true believers and which ones aren't. And this, this side also says the whole yeast thing. Everywhere else in Scripture, when Jesus talks about yeast, it's to talk about evil. And so again, they're saying, the kingdom of God is going to grow big, but there's going to be evil people planted there by Satan to offset the true believers. And and Jesus told another parable where he said, we won't know for sure until God sends the angels to reap the harvest, and then he's going to separate the true believers from from the unbelievers. And you hear that explanation, and you're going, maybe that's what Jesus meant. All right, let's be dismissed. I'm kidding. So what do I think? All right, here's the deal. Honestly, honestly, it doesn't matter which side of this debate you come down on. There is a much bigger principle at work here. And this is on your listening guide. And here it is. This is real deep. It's what you paid for. Big things start small. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about this. 1984, Dell Computer started. You know where it started? In the dorm room of Michael Dell, he just thought, I'll start building these things. Can't be that hard. May 3rd of this year, 2010, Fortune Magazine listed Dell as the 38th 38th largest company in the United States, 5th largest company in Texas by total revenue. It's the 2nd largest non-oil company in Texas behind AT&T. It indeed started small and has grown very big. Well, if you think about these parables, whether you come down on either side, I can see both sides. The, the issue is the kingdom of God started with Jesus and now it's all over the place. But you got to admit, even though the kingdom of God is reaching all over the world, not everybody who walks into a church and says, I'm a believer in Christ is a true believer in Christ. Jesus said, some of you are going to stand before me at the end times. and They're going to say, oh, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons? Didn't we heal people? And Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. That's a bad day. You talk about a bit of bad luck to stand before Jesus thinking you're coming into the kingdom. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are, go to hell. That's a bad day. But the, the kingdom of God starts small, the kingdom of hell starts small. Gossip starts small and grows into this big thing. Floods start small and grows into a big thing. Forest fires start small and grow into a big thing. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, your tongue is like a deadly poison full of evil. He said it's like a wildfire that is set on fire by the gates of hell, by the flames of hell. Things start small and they grow big. And you have a choice with your life whether you're going to be one that moves towards the kingdom of God or whether you're going to be one who leads people to hell. You have a choice to make. Second thing, God chooses small things. Let me give you several several examples here. When God wanted to create a new nation to call his own people, whom did he choose? It's up there, read it. Abraham and Sarah. Now, this is a big deal because God came to Abraham who was really an unknown dude. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. 25 years later, they don't have any children, by the way. Can you imagine you're standing there? God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Um, God, I don't have any kids. And God's like, yeah, I know that. 25 years later, you know how old Abraham was when Isaac was born? 100. Close. Sarah was 90. My dad's 88. My dad swears to me he hasn't had sex in 50 years. I'm 46. 46. If I were tell my dad, Dad, another 12 years, you're going to have a, a brand new baby boy. He'd say, kill me now. Just take me out of my misery right now. I called my dad and he's out of breath. I say, you've been chasing mom around? He says, no. I said, you better cut that out. Get us all out of the house. Can you imagine God saying to a 100-year-old man, you're going to father a child? <laughs> they did laugh. They laughed. And when they fathered a child who then became part of this whole great nation called Israel, who got the glory? God did. Not Abraham and Sarah. They laughed. When God wanted to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, did he choose a hotshot dude? Did he, did he get Bill Gates or whatever Salu's name is? Did he get him? No. Moses had run away in disgrace from, from Egypt. He was doing the lowest job in society. He was a shepherd for 40 years. He was rejected by the Israelites. He was pursued because he had killed an Egyptian. They wanted to kill him. He was pursued by the Egyptians. And God comes to him and it says, the Bible says that he was the most humble man on the planet. God is looking for people who are small in their own eyes to do something big because then he gets the glory. When God rejected Israel's first king, a guy named Saul... And he chose a new king. Did God look for the biggest, baddest warrior dude in the kingdom? No, because that was Saul, the first king. Saul, it says that he is head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the Jewish nation. And you remember when David really bursts on the scene? He's fighting someone named Goliath? Now, just logically, if you got a dude who's who's the tallest in your kingdom, you got Goliath out there saying, Send me the toughest dude in your kingdom. Who are you gonna choose? Saul, where was Saul? He was hiding in the tent. David comes in from watching sheep. He's a boy. He comes in, he goes, I'll fight him. God says, that's the kind of guy I want. He said, this guy, I've killed a lion and a bear. This guy, and he says to Goliath, David does goes up to him, he says, you come at me with all of these curses and and all this stuff. He says, I come at you in the name of the God of Israel, who this day will help me defeat you. God says, I want want people who are small in their own eyes because then I get the glory. When Jesus was going to feed the 5,000, whose sack lunch did he use? Little boys. When Jesus stood next to the joy basket, actually it was the joy box back then, but you don't know what that is. Whose offering impressed him the most? the rich dudes or the widows? Because the rich dudes would bring all these coins. This was a big box at the back. When you finished church, you would go out a big box and the rich dudes would take these coins and pour them in. <laughs> wow. Did you see all that money he gave? A widow who had one penny comes up, drops it in. And Jesus said, that is sacrifice. Can you imagine his, his followers going, huh? That dude gave $1,000. Yeah, but that dude may have had 100000 she had one penny, and Jesus said, that's the one that's special to me because she understands sacrifice. When God came to earth in human form, did he come as a great and powerful king? No, he came as a baby. Did he come to a great and powerful king family? came to a virgin girl about 13 or 14 years old who was engaged to a carpenter. He came as a baby because nobody's afraid of a baby. When we started New Life Community Church eight years ago, 24 people met at our first service and five of them were named Washburn. 19 people, not named Washburn, came to our first service. And today we're over 10 times larger. You know how many of those original are here, not named Washburn? 12 that are still with us. God starts small and he says, when I can trust you... He grows it into something big. The pattern in Scripture, God chooses small things, insignificant people to do big stuff. So here's number three. God chooses, I want you to write your name in that blank. I don't care if you're a Christ follower or not, you write your name in the blank. God chooses you and He's choosing you today to do something that lasts beyond your lifetime. God is choosing you to do something bigger than yourself. Okay, my Haiti people in the group, stand up. Just real quickly, stand up. Those of you going to Haiti, how many of you had $1,500 just lying around to go on a vacation in a third world country? Let me see your hand. (laughs) Some of these folks did not have a dime extra to pay. How dare you think you should go if you're not rich? This last year, New Life has given $4,000 to World Vision for Haiti Relief. And then these people right here, our church and these people, have raised over $15,000 so that they can go to a third world country, work their rears off for six days, and eat goat. Y'all be seated. What makes them think they should go? And, And I've talked to them. Everyone that thinks they should go, they believe God has called them to go. And so when God calls you, the proper response is if He's your Savior, you say, yes, sir, I'll do what you're calling me to do. But, but I don't have any money. So what? God, God's rich. He's got more than Bill Gates and Selu. How many of you feel like you don't qualify to do anything for God? Let me see your hands. If you, if you examine your own life, you do not feel like you qualify to do anything for God. That's it? Come on. The rest of you think you're qualified? I'm messing up today because nobody's qualified. All right. How many of you feel unqualified to do something for God? Stick your hand. Everybody raise your hands. Okay, I'm missing it. All right. Now, now, we're good. If you think you're unqualified, that's when God wants to use you. When you think you're qualified, you're not. That's a pretty clear indication whether you're in the right spot in your relationship with God if you feel qualified. Now, if you say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you call me to do and and I think you're crazy but I'll do it, that's different. That's not saying, well, I should do this and I should do that. God says, if you are full of yourself, there's no room for Him and He's not going to use you. Now, Nobody has fifty-three point five billion dollars. Nobody here has the ability to heal diseases, cast out demons, heal marriages, raise dead people from from the dead, raise dead people to life. As we, you know, raise dead people from the dead. Y'all don't even have the power to raise live, live people from the dead. So get off. Right. But God has all power, and He wants to use you. Let me show you something from First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-seven. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose what the world thinks is unimportant and what the world looks down on and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. God did this so that no one can brag in His presence. When you stand before God, you won't say, check it out. Look what I did. When you stand before God, you're going to say, Lord, forgive me for not doing more. Forgive me for not attempting something so great that you get the glory for my life. We teach at New Life that every member is a minister. We teach that every member has a ministry, and every ministry is important. But do you know what the word ministry means? It comes from the Greek word, and I rarely do this, but this this is a Greek word I looked up. The Greek word for ministry is diakonos. Diakonos, I said that wrong. It's where we get the word deacon, The good word, deacon. And according to Scripture, we're all supposed to be deacons. Do you know what it means? Here's the definition. It means to serve another, one who serves another, and one who carries out the commands of another. If you're a true servant of God, you don't get to choose which commands you follow and which you don't. If you're choosing, picking and choosing, that disqualifies you from serving in the kingdom of God. We're all supposed to serve one another and carry out the commands of Christ. And Jesus says, if you're a faithful minister, you'll carry out the smallest commands. And in fact, the smallest commands are where he determines whether your heart is right to give you bigger commands. It's a test. He gives you small things to do. And if you don't carry out the small things, God says, I'm not going to waste my time with you on bigger assignments because you're not interested in serving me. You're interested in serving yourself. So I guess the question is what kind of minister are you? What kind of deacon, diaconos? What kind of diakonos are you? What kind of servant are you? Can God count on you to do the small things or maybe maybe I should ask can God count on you to do anything? Cuz you're supposed to be a minister in the kingdom of God. Now, small things can have a big impact. Here's another pop quiz. Name a teacher who made a significant impact on your life. For me, Mrs. Giles in ninth grade, Ms. Smith in third grade. Name a friend who helped you through a difficult time. Chris Irvin, Alex Maldonado, Jeff Gillis. Name someone who taught you something that has benefited your life. Chuck Washburn. I give that guy a hard time, but my dad's awesome. He's taught me what it's like to stick at something Come hell or high water. Name someone who made you feel special. My oldest brother, Larry. I will forever love that man because he paid attention to me when I was a child. Took me hunting. Made me feel special. Now, those people aren't on the top ten list. Right? Your people aren't on the top ten list but it's the small things people who served you that you'll forever be grateful to. Because they made you feel special and they didn't have to. And that's why you're drawn to them. Number four, this is the big deal. Small things must choose Jesus. Right after all of this stuff, verse 22 in Luke 13 Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter, but will, fi- will fail. Now, in order to clear that up, this is the best way. If you've got a passage of Scripture that you don't understand, find another passage of Scripture that explains it better. So let's jump over to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus says, You got two ways, and he goes on and he gives all these different choices. Two ways to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of hell. That's your two choices. You come to a fork in the road. You either go towards God, you go towards hell. You either lead people towards God or you lead people towards hell. You only have two choices. And your words and your actions create a domino effect that are either going to lead people into the kingdom of God or they're going to lead people into hell. Now, we got just a, a cool little um, domino effect thing. This is a bunch of Honda parts that uh, create a domino effect. Watch this. Isn't it nice when things just work? Pretty cool commercial, huh? There are two ways you can choose, and we choose it every day. And and Jesus said the broad road where everybody is leads to hell. And he said there's this little narrow road. This little narrow door. And Jesus, the founder of Christianity, said there's only one way to get to to the Father, and that's through Him, Jesus Christ. So the narrow door is Jesus. And He says, it's hard. What does your Christianity ever cost you? If it costs you nothing, I would seriously question whether you're on the road that leads to God. Too many people have an easy Christianity that makes no demands on them. Jesus says you can't walk on two roads in two different directions at the same time. Being religious will lead you to hell. But it's easy. And it's crowded. But following Christ and moving towards the kingdom of God is hard. And let me just tell you something. the bride of Christ is very, very important to Christ. And when you attack the bride of Christ, you are standing up, ready to duke it out with the God of the universe because that's His bride. You come in my house and you do something to my wife, we're going to have issues. It's called a Glock 40 caliber. Too many people casually date the bride of Christ. Too many people think nothing of gossip. And there's nothing that pisses me off more than the bride of Christ gossiping about the bride of Christ. And some of you are going to walk out of here and say, he said pissed off. And you're going to gossip at lunch today about what I said. And if you want to gossip, please don't come back here. What we're doing is much too important. If, however, you want to be real and say, I struggle, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sexual addiction, pornography, if you want to be real, this place is a place that's real. Real people with real problems, but we have real answers in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But if you want to get me fired up, then you come in and you start talking crap about somebody in the church. That's, what, that's the only time I ever hate my job. Is when people who are supposed to be in the kingdom of God attack other people who are supposed to be in the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking, how would our military work if we start shooting each other? We're the only army on the planet that attacks its wounded. Wounded. God has chosen you, but have you ever chosen him? There are clues in the way you conduct your life about whether you're a follower of Christ, but there's clues in the way a church conducts its business about whether they are going to be glorified by God. Listen to this. In the heart of Chicago's West Side, this comes from a World Vision article, by the way. In the heart of Chicago's west side, thousands of inner city families struggle daily to make ends meet, but that hasn't kept many local Christians from joining forces to share the little they have with others in need. It all began December 26, 2003, when an earthquake shattered Bam, Iran, destroying an estimated 80% of the city. It happened on a Friday, so I knew that by Sunday my people would be asking how they could help, says Reverend Marshall Hatch, pastor of New Mount Pilgrim Church in Chicago's west side unknowingly hatched that day set the stage for what has become Chicago's African-American Christian Relief Network, an alliance of small to medium-sized inner-city churches dedicated to caring for those caught in natural disasters. We chose to respond to the Iran earthquake because it's a Muslim country, Pastor Hatch explained, and I really wanted our church to be challenged to recognize its responsibility and show the love of Christ to Muslims as well as to other Christians. Exactly a year later, on December 26, 2004, the world awoke to the news that a tsunami had devastated several Asian countries. By this time, Hatch had invited two other local African-American churches, Greater St. John Bible Church and New Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, to join his congregation in responding during disasters. Together, these three low income Christian groups reached deep into their pockets and raised $8,000. Their gifts to care for the BAM earthquake and tsunami survivors were given to World Vision for its frontline work during those disasters. World Vision is on the west side of Chicago, Pastor Hatch said. We wanted to sew back into an organization that's working in our own community. Yet the biggest gift of all was still to come. Using their networks with other churches and pastors, these three founding churches grew the African-American Christian Relief Network to 30 west side churches, "'When Hurricane Katrina ripped through the Gulf Coast "'on August 29, 2005, the network went right to work "'and raised more than $50,000 to help survivors. "'And we went there as well,' Pastor Hatch said. "'We took relief supplies to the small town of Rain, Louisiana, "'where evacuees were flocking after the hurricane. "'We took nurses and ministers "'so that we could have a ministry of presence among the people in desperate circumstances.'" During their time in the hurricane-damaged area, the Chicago team worked alongside local church leaders, many who were exhausted from trying to address the overwhelming needs of those who were homeless and displaced. In early October, the African-American Christian Relief Network also brought seven of these pastors to Chicago for a few days of respite, relaxation, and recharging. During that time, these pastors shared from local pulpits, presenting a firsthand account of what was happening in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina to those who had given so generously. Rev. Ira Ekri, pastor of Greater St. John Bible Church, said the experience of giving, often out of their own need to people in even greater need, has deeply touched his congregation. I think sometimes people living in the inner city who suffer, as our people, and awful, people often do, relate to other people who are suffering as well. In the midst of our own poverty, we are willing to sacrifice. This ministry has encouraged my church to see beyond our own situation and conditions to help others. Now the network stands ready to make a difference when the next disaster strikes. It's really people in their hearts that are central, Pastor Hatch says. Our people saw on TV what everyone else saw, but as Christians, we're going to show up. If the church is relevant, they're going to want to know what they can do. If the church is relevant, they're going to say, what can we do? Next Sunday, you got an opportunity to descend on a neighborhood and just share the love of Christ. And how hard is that? We're taking off Sunday morning so that, so that you have an opportunity to come and serve people. And I guarantee you, if you'll pray this week that God will use you, it will be an experience that you'll never forget next Sunday. Can you imagine the domino effect if this group right here caught it? And we said, we're going to use our actions and our words because... The Bible's real clear that we're to speak only words that build others up, that benefit those who listen. Can you imagine if a group of people said, I'm only going to speak what is beneficial for them. Now, sometimes you speak the truth in love. Don't have any problem with that. But honestly, when we gossip and we slander, there's no love involved except love of ourselves. We love ourselves more than we love other people. Jesus said his body would pour out grace on people. And what I want new life to be known for is grace. Don't miss the opportunity next week. Now, we're going to finish up with this. We need about $8,000 to put a roof on Eula's house. And Eula didn't know I was going to do this. She didn't have a clue. But when we started this whole thing, we said, uh, God, do something that's bigger than us. And so then, you know, I went over and we were going to repair the roof. And then there's some some sheetrock damage on the inside. And I went over, I'm filming and and I see the roof and I went, oh, no. She has no insurance because she can't get insurance because her roof is four layers of composite shingles and one of wood shake shingles. And so. God said you got to put it on a roof, and everybody I talked to said you got to put it on a roof. We got to put it on a roof. So taking all of that off, decking it, putting shingles back on is going to cost about eight thousand dollars with with the carry off and all of that stuff. Now here's what we're going to do, and I'm insane, and I know some of you are thinking this. You tell me this all the time. You're nuts, dude, because this is last year. We raised $41,000 on one day to buy the land that's over here next to us. And then we've got people that have, that have made a three year commitment to give over and above the tithe in our, tithe, tithe in our building a great life thing. And, and we got some people in our church that are giving 20% and living on 80%. So they're going way above and beyond the tithe. And people are going, you are nuts to ask for another offering. Here's all I know. God said we're supposed to put on a roof. It's up to God. And so all I know to do is tell you we're going to have some buckets at the back. Some people are going to be standing back there. And, and you just, everything that goes in the white buckets, hold those up, guys. Just hold them up. Everything that goes in the white bucket goes towards Eula's roof. And and it's going to take us a couple of months to get the roof there anyway. So we've got some time to do some fundraising. So this is God's deal. God, you owe $8,000. And, and then he says, "He says if you have not asked, so we're asking, and we're not asking for us, the church. We're not spending the eight thousand on us. We're giving it to someone who needs it. So we have four things that you can put something in today. We got a joy basket. Church members, regular attenders. By the way, if you're a guest, we're not this insane all the time. Every three or four months, we go nuts." But, but we never ask for a dime of your money. If you're a guest, you walk by, you smirk. Because you don't have to give. If you're a church member, or a regular attender, dude, if you hadn't heard the message by now, <laughs> you're supposed to give. God expects you to give. We have a, a bagel basket. Yeah, you guys go ahead and go back there. Bagel. I love it. That's for where we're paying off debt. We're trying like crazy to pay off this debt so that we can be ready to build a new building out here on the parking lot, a worship center, and turn this into the youth and children's area. Um, We have a registration card basket. Now, take your registration cards out and fill those out for me real quickly. And I always ask you to write something on the back. So, the four points we had today. Big things start small. God chooses small things. God chooses you. Small things must choose Jesus. Which area do you think you you needed to hear today? If it's that God has chosen you, you write down. You can either write down number three or God chose me. Or if you didn't realize that God uses small things, then you write down God uses small things or God chooses small things. Or if you knew that you're supposed to put your hands in, in, in God's hands, put your mouth and your actions and your life in God's hands, but you hadn't done that, then put number four. That that's small things must choose Jesus in order to make an eternal impact.